It's disheartening to go out into your garden, pull up the top of a carrot, and realize the carrot's missing. Help! Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. Welcome to our podcast of April the 4th, 2013. Bless it. It's a hard, <laughs> hard life, isn't it, Amanda? It is. When you work hard to plant some sweet little vegetable out there and, you know, just don't you don't have it when it's done and I mentioned the carrots but that was only a third of my problem last year my first heartbreak was sweet Sweet potatoes well actually before that Irish potatoes I had Irish potatoes in the ground okay that at first they were actually more like red skinned but they were just you know plain potatoes and at first I was pulling up these gorgeous potatoes I got so excited but then as the summer went on they began to be half of a potato or a third of a potato, all with little gnaw marks around it and, you know, beginning to rot. And then, yes, the sweet potatoes were next and uh, pretty much lost that entire crop. There was not a sweet potato really worth anything. It was just mush by the time I got to them. Yeah, the sweet potatoes basically were just ruined. They were ruined. And then this past spring, the carrots, and I started out, seeing how nice they could be. I had some purple ones and some beautiful orange ones, and they taste so good, and I was excited. And sometimes, the and I was waiting for them to get larger, you know, just to, to get a full-size carrot. But I waited a little too long because the voles discovered them. So I would pull up a carrot and find that most of the carrot was gone. It just was a little bit around the top that was left. So I got to do something about those. I'm going to pause for a detour here and say, by and large, we're doing a pretty good job dealing with our pests. There are some some weak spots, but basically uh, you can check off the deer, at least for the time being, we've taken care of the deer. Yeah. And the deer fences. And they were the first main major pest that we've had. You're right. Uh, rabbits still struggling with them, but by and large, they are not keeping us from producing food we need. Uh, I know that you've struggled with some uh, damage to your lettuce recently. Right. And, and we think that was rabbits, although we're not sure. And we also know that the baby rabbits have no trouble getting in the deer fence. So, in fact, even larger rabbits apparently have no trouble. But But I've solved that problem temporarily, at least, by putting... Uh, chopsticks and little craft sticks around the small plants. It's a lot of trouble and some expense, but it does seem to be helping. Yeah. yeah. Um, Aphids, um, I think we can check them off. The ladybugs, God bless them, are taking care of the aphids for Mm -hmm. us. Uh, We do see aphid damage from time to time, but it's nothing like the epidemic we had that year before the ladybugs found them. Yeah, that's true. Squash bugs and squash vine borers, uh, jury's still out on them. We're still struggling with that. Uh, but we are patient and reasonably confident that the predators will find them if we will just let that take care of itself. Right, and, so. and we've got a few, I guess, um, tools in our array 
such as row covers, trap crops, and, and that we can employ to see if it helps. But the most important strategy, we think, is to let those predatory wasps find them, mm-hmm. um, and then they'll take care of them for us. That leaves those moles and voles, and the reason I use the term impolite language as the title for today's podcast is that we have just finished the season of Lent, during which your discipline was to avoid profanity. And I was successful, by and large. So, yes, the day I pulled up the carrot and there was no carrot, I was rather polite in what I said. (laughs) But I was thinking some really evil thoughts about those voles and wondering, what could I do? And, and, And we have tried trapping them. We have not been successful. Well, I thought we might ask you, being as you are such an authority on moles and voles (laughs) these days, to describe briefly how moles find and consume their food and and then maybe how voles do the same. Well, um, all that I know is based on reading and um, we had at least one Master Gardener lecture about um, pests, who, including big pests that come into your garden. Um, the problem with moles is not that they directly eat the vegetables. They are carnivorous, is my understanding, as are armadillos. Armadillos and moles are looking for slugs and maybe other things too. But as it affects uh, one's vegetable garden, yeah, there might be slugs out there. And, you know, they're not bothering me. But the moles are after something. And in the process, they dig the little... tunnels that everyone would recognize as a mole hole, mole, you know, at least the evidence of moles being under the ground. And uh, they can disturb what you've planted, um, but they're not out to eat it. So they're not really the problem in and of themselves. However, this is based on a garden blog that I read that um, moles provide convenient travel facilities for voles. (laughs) And voles do eat your vegetables. Voles, this is an easy way to remember it, V for vole, V for vegetable. They're vegetarians and they are the little field mouse type critter that eats any root vegetable they can easily get their little teeth on. So the sweet potatoes, the potatoes, and the carrots um, certainly... Parsnips, I guess. Well, the parsnips, I'm going to knock on wood because... I harvested a parsnip just the day before yesterday that was intact. But like carrots, I'm sure they are vulnerable. Yes, very okay. much so. And and you have noticed that the more hardy, the, the tougher-skinned root vegetables are don't seem to be as vulnerable, Thus like turnips far, and rutabaga. Right. They didn't bother the rutabagas, and the turnips have been fine. Of course, my turnips didn't get very big, so I don't know... Um, the, the rutabagas did, and they seemed to be We didn't fine. have any damage. Yeah, didn't have damage. The, uh, I think the jury would be out for something like radishes. I haven't really planted radishes this year. Um, well, I did put a few seeds out. They didn't materialize. I think I, I didn't you know, put well, them in at the right time. Well, I will time. say we are not yet aware of any damage to the garlic. And, and I was, and some of my reading has prepared me that it might be a problem because um, there have been some people who have received vole damage to their garlic okay, and onions as well. All right. 
Well, what I was about to say, and maybe I'm, I would be wrong if I said it, is maybe the voles don't like those really strong, pungent-tasting vegetables. Yeah, they may prefer sweet carrots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they got their way. They had their way. Well, we've tried trapping the voles and the moles. I mean, we, we're not trying to distinguish between them, but we tried trapping them with little mouse traps. Well, you know, we distinguish them this way. A mole trap is different from a vole trap. A vole trap is basically a mouse trap. We haven't even put the mole trap out yet. It's sitting out there in a box. But it's one of those that has to go into the, you're supposed to put it near a fairly new mole hole, and it, it's like a scissor trap. There are different kinds you can try. So really, we have not tried the mole okay. trap. But we well, tried the, I don't really know. We just never got around to it. But well, the vole trap, the, the vole trap, did not um, catch anything. And I put it right by the where you could see the mole hole, where the vole had been there, and right near where the carrots were consumed. Um, and, of course, I've, you know, we've tried trapping armadillos in the past, too, with no success. Um, so we are putting in four more raised beds, and here's our thought. Perhaps, even though we tried unsuccessfully to put hardware cloth underneath one of the previous raised beds, we found out with the uneven terrain that when you dump the planting, the soil, the medium, planting medium, into the bed, it just pushed through. It just forced that hardware yeah, we cloth out. we couldn't figure out. out a way to put the hardware cloth on firmly enough so right. that it would stand up to the weight of that topsoil. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure you would want it to because then you'd have topsoil suspended in air and that would really dry yeah, out fast. Yeah, and it's probably difficult for people to visualize what we're talking about, but just think about a slope, sloping land, but you you want a level um, raised bed. You know, it's got to, and so, and you and Tom, your brother, went to considerable lengths to level those raised beds. Um, but what happens is, it's kind of sticking out, you know, you, you can't, yeah, there's no way to, to think of it as, as resting on two mounds with a valley in between. Mm -hmm. And therefore there is air beneath the raised bed. And if you have hardware cloth at, on the bottom of the raised bed, and then you put topsoil in it, you're putting all the weight of that topsoil on the, whatever's holding the hardware cloth mm -hmm. onto the bottom yeah. of the bed. And it, you know, just blew right out. How, so our plan now, and we've actually done it with bed number one, which is in place, is to make sure that we don't build the bed until we have a really level pad, at level at all points, from, from end to end, and, and all points in between is level now, and we think now we'll be able to put hardware cloth in the bottom of it. Which is what we did for that one. That it is what we've done for cloth. number one, and we've got a nice photo of that one that we'll put on the show notes page so you'll be able to see the approach we're taking. That will be beds one, two, three, and four. Beds five through 16 are already built and are not vole-proofed, but don't tell the voles that. <laughs> Just keep it our little secret. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one through four will be um, will have that hardware cloth, and will um, we hope be 
able to stand up to the molds yes. and bolts. And we can talk a little bit more about the how I'm going to rotate my crops later. But one thing we should note is that, well, first of all, I'll note that if you out there listening live on a completely level land, you don't need to worry about all that. It's going to be just as easy for you to put hardware cloth, almost as easy, True. to do hardware cloth in the bottom of your bed as not. And if you are building raised beds and you suspect that you might have voles at some point in the future, it might be worth it to go ahead and take the little extra step of putting that hardware cloth in there. Yes. Um, it's when you live... Or some other material that will stop them. And I've, I've heard some criticism of hardware cloth as the, the barrier on the grounds that it will deteriorate too fast. Oh, okay. Um, so if you want to do something uh, else, in, in, but you got to make it pretty fine because these little guys are really small. Yeah, they're they can, small. Chicken wire is too, too big, for yeah. example. They're, they're like a, a field mouse. And uh, again, if you're trying to visualize that, just Google voles and you can see a picture. They're actually kind of cute, although I don't like them now <laughs> because of what they do. So yes, you want your hardware cloth in there. And um, for us, though, because we are on a slope, these, the construction of the last four beds is considerably more difficult. And you might want to speak to that, like what you're having to do to uh, level all this and make it work. Yeah, it's what it has meant is that the process of building a bed is a little slower than it for 1 through 4 than it was for 5 through 16 because we're stopping before we build a bed and, you know, filling in a little hole here and knocking down a little hill there and, um, and you know, taking multiple transit readings and really stopping to make sure we have a thoroughly level pad. And I think it paid off with number one. Oh, it I think looked so too. level. Yeah, it looks as though it should work. And so um, we've ordered some more soil from Froggy Bottom and we'll dump that in there and hopefully it'll it'll stay in place the way it should. Yeah. Um, I think it will. I don't I don't have any question about whether, you know, whether this bed will now hold the soil. I'm confident it will. Um, we should mention that you were concerned, and I think remain somewhat concerned, that the way we've installed this hardware cloth has meant that there are little rough edges of it that come out a little bit. Rough is an understatement. They're very sharp. You know, it's where you clip hardware cloth. It's like little knives being under there. It's very sharp. Okay. Yeah. And and you're nervous about your hand getting hurt. Um if you go rooting around in that soil. Yes. So, and, you know, we've, we've been really careful to make sure that the hardware cloth stays close as, as close as possible to the edge of the bed. Um, but you will want, if you end up using hardware cloth on your raised beds, you will want to be attentive to that. Mm -hmm. Make sure that it doesn't come out into the, the soil and snag a gardener later. Mm-hmm. And I think if I'm going to do anything right around the edges of those beds and stick my hand way down there, I probably should wear gloves, I agree. thick gloves. Um, but, you know, that's a small price to pay as far as I'm concerned for being able to... Um, if it works. If it works, right. So what we'll do, we'll have four beds out of 16 that will have hardware cloth in them. And those will be the beds where I plant potatoes, sweet potatoes, carrots, parsnips, anything else that might potentially be... Um, you know, I planted beets this year, and I really didn't, they, the chard, the top part grew, but I really didn't see any beets. It could be they got those too. 
but something of that nature needs to go into those beds. But fortunately, with four of them, and they're long, um, I should be able to rotate crops amongst those four beds to to provide. In other words, you are supposed to rotate crops. But, you know, maybe each, each bed every three years mm-hmm. has a different crop. Every four years has a different crop, depending yeah, on how many different I guess I you might end up almost with a whole different rotation system on beds one through four than what you have through on five through 16. That's correct, yes. Um, but, you know, we'll feel that out as we go. And we have to stress here, we're not confident this is going to solve the problem. This is just our latest try, our latest attempt. And the other thing I'm attempting before having these beds done, it was time to go ahead and plant potatoes last month, actually even before then, but I got it done last month, is I planted them in buckets with holes in the bottom, and I am now seeing little green potato leaves come up. So um, that's another method of avoiding vole damage is container planting. But I hope that next year I won't have to do that. I can plant back in my raised beds with my potatoes. Yeah, and it works okay for potatoes, but you're not going to be producing that many potatoes in those buckets. Right. There. Um, obviously, we hope that that the system will work well. The way it's supposed to work is these potatoes grow up and they produce a lot of greenery and you cover it with soil and then they keep producing leaves and keep producing potatoes and then you stack more buckets on top of it so you keep producing potatoes as you go. Maybe. You know, let's hope that it all works, but the the jury's out on that. Well, it has worked for plenty of other people, and, and that's certainly that's one of the methods that the Seven Ways with Spuds video that uh, we made last year mm-hmm. demonstrated through our um, Central Alabama Master Gardener Group. But I, I think given that we've invested the time and money to put these raised beds out, I'd love to be able to use them and not have to use buckets. So uh, let's hope for the best. Hope the voles stay away. And uh, let's hope we have everybody has a good week. Yeah, we'll uh, be back with you next week and um, probably spend some time talking about cover crop and maybe a little bit about solar power next week. We'll have to see how things develop. But we hope you have a great week. We'll look forward to visiting with you soon. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.